welcome to the Landman Pivot Podcast. I'm your host and pivot coach, Ryan Fairbanks. I'm a registered professional landman with the American Association of Professional Landmen. During my 15 years as a petroleum landman, I've gained a passion for helping others level up their skill set and mindset so they can be ready for anything in our ever-changing industry. One of my favorite ways to do this is by introducing listeners to mentors and coaches like me who want to see you succeed. At the end of the interview, I'll tell you more about additional resources you can use to forge new connections and gain new skills to get you moving forward with confidence. Today, it's our special privilege to have Dan Warheide with us. Uh, Dan and I have been friends for coming up on two years, um, part of a, a community that participates in a mastermind group early in the morning. And Dan's been through a, a couple of career transitions. So I thought this would be a conversation that would serve this community. Welcome, Dan. Glad to have you with us. Oh, man. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm super excited uh, to be here and have a great conversation with you. Um, I think all of our conversations are productive and purposeful. So looking forward to it. Great. Let's lead off with tell us a little bit about you, kind of your background and Lay the foundation for us. Wow. Okay. You got me set up. Um, Yes. So my background is actually varied and somewhat eclectic. Um, I had a friend of mine recently tell me that every time he hears from me, he hears something new that I've done in my past or at some point throughout my life. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, that, that describes all of it, but uh-huh. I'll, I'll focus on the, the major components. You know, I, I grew up in Chesapeake, Virginia area, um, Virginia Beach, if, if you're not familiar with the area, and, and um, went to high school there. I started out in, uh, man, I started out in high school in retail and then moved into some warehousing and some other industrial type efforts. And I worked for Canon USA for a stint. Um, doing I started off in their technical support department which I, you know was intriguing just from the purposes of being able to help people work through challenges that are seemingly overwhelming and so I say that on purpose because it ties into our conversation later on I believe but right. so um, Canon like photography printers photo uh, yeah printers photography I started off in the printer help desk um, I wasn't much I'm not very smart when it comes to photography, so I, I didn't I didn't ever do any of the technical support there. But I moved into their customer relations team after a while, um, where I still had the opportunity to get overtime and do technical support. Um, but I also supported a wider array of their their customers through the the printers, the the cameras, and then even some of the like the industrial type copiers and such that they offered. Um, so I got exposed to a much bigger audience through that. Um, I stayed with them for a little while, but then I, I, um, I, I had my first child and, and realized then that I, I still hadn't figured out where I was trying to go, where I wanted to be, and just wasn't, um, I don't know, let me back up for a second and say I, I grew up in a military family as well. And One of the things I found, or at least I felt, uh, and that might just be a mindset thing, but one of the things I noticed was that, you know, all these other people had plans and they knew what it took to get through school, to get into college and were, you know, starting to get some pretty good jobs, at least from an outsider's perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I, 
I didn't have that mapped out for me. I was kind of just figuring it out as I went and I wasn't where I wanted to be yet. So I knew I needed to do something when I had my daughter. And one of the things I looked at to provide some sense of security, some reliability, a steady income and the opportunity to learn um, in one of the, I think one of the fastest, most effective ways possible that led to on the job type continued learning, but the military, right? So I joined the army, um, became an intelligence analyst, and that was back in uh, 2002. So just after September 11th, um, so some of that tied together. After your first daughter was born? Yes. Yeah. I, I joined Perfect. after she was born. Um, and she was born, in, actually, she was born September 10th, 2001. So the day before the September 11th um, attacks on the United States. And so that led. Wow. It led to some feelings as well, um, although, you know, that wasn't the critical factor in me joining. Responsibility to my family was probably a more critical factor. And then support to the United States, you know, the pride in our country, all of those things also contributed. But I'd have to say, if I was just going to tell somebody why I joined in the first place, it was because I needed to be able to provide a reliable source for my family. Um, mm-hmm. health care. I mean, you really, when you look at what all was obtained through that, the pay isn't great, but the health care is fair. Um, some people would complain. I think it has been great. They've treated me fairly well throughout the years. And, uh, and the lessons learned, I think, were probably the most standout piece looking back today. But then I, so I retired from the military early, 16 and a half years I did with the army um, in several, my career in the army was also very eclectic. While my primary job remained an intelligence analyst, I explored lots of other opportunities as a sexual assault victim advocate, uh, providing, you know, uh, resources and support to survivors of sexual assault, um, training in the same aspects for organizations how to mitigate those incidents uh, within their organizations. So when I say organizations, I mean specifically the army and civilians that we supported Mm -hmm. um, as well as the DOD contractors. But then um, I also did uh, the master resiliency training program, um, became a train a trainer in that program. And so that is teaching people how to navigate some of the day-to-day stress, as well as some of the extra stressors that we encounter mindset, challenges that we encounter and navigating uh, interpersonal and personal relationships as well. It was all part of that. It's positive psychology based, human performance based. Um, Those are just a couple examples of some of the things I did. A lot of leadership lessons learned throughout that process, but I retired in 2018 due to some back injuries. So medical retirement, um, which provides me some benefit, Uh, not a full retirement, but I can't, uh, I can't complain because it certainly helped uh, stabilize me as I navigated after that career transition into what I'm doing now. And and truth be told, um, still navigating that transition, but I've come a long ways and it's it's a continual learning process, just like where I started. It was a continual learning process. I hope that's a fairly... Good summary. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, I think that'll speak well to our listeners as far as 
a lot of land professionals have had kind of an eclectic experience with being in land work where we get a variety of different experiences. We don't really get a long time to focus on one specific skill development because our clients that we serve, the oil and gas companies are in our industry, have different phases of projects sure. where, you know, between doing preliminary title work to determine who the owners of certain mineral rights are to negotiating leases and preparing to drill wells. There's such a variety of things that we do and so many different skills that we need to develop. So your variety of experiences and skill development, I think will speak well there. Um, so as you transitioned into the military and out of the military, what part of those transitions was a struggle for you or has been, or maybe still is a struggle for you? Mm. Well, looking back and thinking back rather to uh, the transition into the military, you know, there were lots of people who doubted my success there from the beginning. Um, in, in that I, I never really, and this is kind of ironic, I suppose, but I was never really good with authority. Um, I didn't like people telling me what to do. And, and I didn't like someone else defining what the the outer limits and inner limits were for me. And, and hmm. as I look at that today, um, and, you know, through quite a bit of growth, I look at that and realize that that wasn't just an authority thing for me. It was, I, I, I have a struggle with being defined or confined, as I like to say now, in someone else's box. And so, education. As I look back at my educational history, I was not a great student. I could get straight A's if I, you know, did the homework and or, or, or even without doing the homework, I could just come in and pass the tests and, and do the work in school. Um, and I could get straight A's, but I ended up not really applying myself in that form. And looking at it now, it's because it was always a struggle for me to put a relationship on what we were doing in school and, and pairing that with real world type of environments and activities. And it just, it was always a mismatch. It just never mm -hmm. felt like I was being productive and that there were had to be a better way to get out there and be productive. And so I, I think the biggest struggle going into the military was all of the naysayers and doubters um, th that said, well, I, I don't think you're the kind of person that's going to be successful in that environment. And uh, well, I proved them all wrong, but <laughs> Um, I had a fairly successful career um, in, the, in the military. I learned a ton. I, I learned a lot about me and what I certainly didn't want to do, which was when leaving the military, I didn't want to continue in that work as a, as a contractor or a, a civilian um, because I wasn't finding a, a real level of fulfillment. However, um, what I did enjoy or what I discovered I enjoyed in the, in you know, looking at all of that, which comes to the, the transition out of the military was the people, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I had, I think I was about nine or 10 years into the military and was faced with that opportunity of, should I do the next 10? And, you know, at that point in your career, people are always saying, well, you know, it's that next 10 is the easiest. It's a downhill slide. And uh, why not? And, and I decided then that, if I had the ability to impact positively 
one person's life at a time, um, then that was reason enough for me to stay. Because anywhere you go in leadership or any, I don't know, corporate environment or any, I guess, industrial or other environments, you know, there's a chain of leadership and we can always pick apart the negative things that are going on. But when we're able to help someone realize that it's a limited time frame that we're going to have to manage or navigate that and teach them the tools they need to navigate those pieces successfully for themselves, we can make a positive impact, even with a negative or toxic leadership around us. And so I chose to stay for that reason. And, and, and later, you know, the mentoring opportunities that I had, and now the people that have come back to me and thanked me and, and still come to me and tell me thank you sometimes uh, for the, the leadership that I provided them, that connection with people is what drove me and drove me to leaving that work as a whole when I got out. I knew that there was still more out there and, and I had had to ch- decide, you know, mine addressed some limiting beliefs potentially that I could do more, I could offer more to the world. Um, and, and so that transition out of the military was difficult for different reasons, because uh, one of the pieces is, and probably like the landman communities, right, you build this community and network of people that are in similar spaces, they have similar challenges, and, you know, similar things that you're focused on on a day to day basis. But when you leave that community, um, and you start a new adventure completely, it's almost like severing ties, at least it was for the military, you know, we you mm-hmm. think about this for a second, we go every two to three years, we move around the world into a new place, new people, new faces, um, similar work, but but the one bond we had is that we're all doing that together. And so it was very easy to plug and play, so to speak, into a new community and, and feel part of that right away. Leaving that behind, moving into at the time was focused on marketing, uh, it, it was a completely different realm and completely different people. I, I had to, yeah. you know, build, build a new network, new, make new friends and that was probably the biggest struggle is how do I, how do I navigate learning to make new friends as a grown man um, who for all intensive purposes is learning how to speak a new language at the same time. And it's, I mean, I would equate it probably to uprooting myself from the United States and moving into a foreign country um, without knowing much beforehand, just jumping in and learning as I went. So that is yeah. probably the biggest challenge. Wow. A lot there. Let's um, dive into a couple of those things a little bit. Um, Absolutely. So you talked about that transition going into the military, um, facing that environment where some people around you that were in your life that were speaking to you said, I don't, I don't know if that's right for you. I don't know if you'd fit in there um, knowing that the military is a very authoritatively driven, structured kind of organization. I think there's a lesson there for us about leaning into the things where other people don't think we can succeed. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I- I'll tell you, even my mom, 
my mom loves me to death and I love my mom to death. And, and she's been super supportive of me through the years, but she was one of the naysayers. She said, I don't think it's a great idea. I, I don't think that that's going to be a successful environment for you based on your history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, well, I think it's a simple solution is um, you can't let other people's views of success, other people's ideas of what you should be doing drive how you decide to live for yourself. Um, and, and I think that goes to mindset, really. It's, you know, you can't uh, allow others' influence to dictate your success or your ability to be successful. Um, if we listen to everybody that says you'll never do anything right, I mean, Walt Disney would have never built Disney. Um, yeah, then we'd was, never do anything at all, right? <laughs> that's right. He, he, he was, I, I, I mean, I'm sure it's, I mean, it's become more and more popular, especially with, you know, all the social activity, but he was fired from his job as a a newspaper columnist, I think it was, um, because he lacked creativity. The kind that they wanted anyway. Apparently, yes. I mean, because uh, the creative talent that came from his world um, and the people that he brought in to support that turned out to be one of the places that's, I don't know, I, I should probably look it up. But I mean, Walt Disney World and Disneyland are are fairly successful, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And let's touch on the the people aspect. You know, you really got into that, the the environment when you're in that military world of operation but really just supporting being with in that space of struggle and challenge and crisis that people found themselves in walking through that with people. What a good foundation for you walking through people's struggles with them in doing other things and trying to figure out career and what their next opportunity is going to be and what they're going to pursue. Yeah. So people, I mean, that's a huge piece and it was a huge contributing factor to where I'm at now. Once I had the realization, um, because I didn't necessarily recognize the connection uh, at first. Mm -hmm. And I, I did know that at some point in my military history, my military career, I went from being selfish to selfless, um, it is one of the core values of the army. So anybody that's a veteran of the military that's listening, selflessness, selfish service or selfless service, yes, is is a core value of, of the military. And while it's easy to say that, it's easy to buy into that as a core belief or core value, it's not so easy to practice it on the regular. It's how am I going to get ahead? How am I going to you know, do this next thing? How am I going to achieve the next level of responsibility? And, um, and I, it's probably important to say that if you can make that shift, that's wonderful, but you have to find balance and be very careful because putting too much emphasis on selflessness um, can come at a cost as well. And, and it did come at a cost for me um, when it comes to personal relationships and family outside of the military. Uh, it, because one of the things that we're taught, and I believe looking at it now out of context, is your family is first, but what they really mean is your military mission and your military family and brothers and sisters are first. And I took that and ran with it and made that true for me. And 
I never learned the balance between that and my personal relationships and family. And so that, that came at a cost. And I, I urge anyone that is considering, you know, that next level of, a, of responsibility to be sure to, to prioritize what's important. Um, but I digress. So the people side of it, you know, once I, once I stopped getting in my own way and looking at my own success, it was, how can we be successful together? How can we navigate, in some cases, what were toxic leadership environments um, and be successful as a team, help people get to where I was at the time, or even achieve more than I was able to. And I just, I don't know, I enjoyed listening to where people were, what their challenges were, helping them with, you know, navigating personal finance or, you know, maybe they wanted to buy a new car and they'd never done that before. Cause we're talking about people from all walks of life that different backgrounds and different levels of experience where I came in a little later, I came in at 26 years old. So I had a little bit more experience and already had an eclectic background. And so I really enjoyed mm -hmm. just walking people through those challenges that they were facing or, or those questions that they had that were bigger than them. Um, and I, I guess I appreciated that they chose me to share those things with for whatever reason they chose me, uh, whether it's because I was in a leadership position, you know, for them or because I just was an observer and a listener and willing to actually walk with people through those things instead of what we see on TV a lot of times, which is that high demand yelling um, dictatorship type of leadership um, that I found not to be very effective. I found leading by example, leading with um, a, a level of concern for the people and not just the tasks uh, made a significant difference for how people responded. Um, yeah. I was you were in that space where, where you could be there and they needed somebody. So absolutely. You were, you were there to, to walk through that with them, walk their path with them as they navigated their struggles and challenges. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, that's kind of what has led me to where I am now, although the recognition wasn't quite there until I did some homework, but. Uh. Yeah. So let's touch on that. Um, you know, on the people aspect a little bit more as far as um, being able to realize the, all of the costs when we make a decision to go a certain direction. It's hard, right, so especially like entrepreneurially, if you're going to start some kind of new business or venture, it's hard initially to see what those costs, way beyond the financial costs, but the emotional engagement, involvement, consumption of you of starting a new venture uh, that can happen a lot of the land professionals in our industry spend maybe three weeks or all but one weekend a month away from their home and family to be in the environment in the area where they have work yeah and so there there are some 
costs. I think a lot of that in the last year or two actually has been mitigated with the increase of availability to do remote work and allowed families to have more time together. At the same time, also something I know you speak a lot to is the transition of people going, okay, now I've been home for a while, or now I've had my eyes open to some other possibilities. Maybe I don't want to do what I have been doing going forward. I tell you, Ryan, that's a big thing right this minute. Um, I don't know if you've seen the articles, but there's been a, quite a few of them going around. There was a, a a report released, survey results released. Uh, uh, the World Economic Forum uh, posted their their survey of mm-hmm. um, workers, and forty up to forty percent of workers are either in the process of resigning or thinking about submitting resignations, which creates an interesting dynamic. But I think it's a significant number, and it happens to be on the tail end of all this pandemic junk where people have done just what you've said. They've had time to to look at things from a different lens or through a different lens and realize that they're maybe not where they want it to be, whether it's in life or in work. Um, and, and they're realizing some things that they want to do differently or do better. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's a really high number. They're, they're dubbing this period. Um, I guess, I don't know if you, professionals, uh, economists are dubbing this period the Great Resignation. Um, and it's kind of scary to think about from uh, employee and employer perspective when you look at those significant amount of numbers, but that's a, a whole separate conversation. Um, what's important to me is helping people understand that they can make those shifts and they can move into things that are going to bring more fulfillment and whether that means you're able to spend more time with family consistently, whether that means you, you know, you want to utilize your skills and talents or, or even your God-given gifts in a, in a new way, or maybe employ them more frequently because they're underserved in your current capacity. Um, whatever that fulfillment piece means, you know, it is possible. And that's where I come in, in a lot of cases is encourage people and walk with them to help them navigate what that looks like. One of the reasons people don't make major shifts in careers or work is because they, they aren't ready or they, they are overwhelmed with what it looks like to do the personal inventory side of things which if we don't do that work to identify what those core skills, talents, gifts, and abilities look like, how different things in our life become more of a priority for us and, mm-hmm. and what that means, um, we won't find fulfillment in our work because then it just looks like I'm going to keep changing jobs or changing careers in a similar field or a different field until I feel that thing. And we can spend a lot of time doing that, waste a lot of time doing that, yeah. and never find that fulfillment. Join us next time for part two of this conversation, where you can learn more about the resources we have to offer. Thanks for listening to the Landman Pivot Podcast. I'm Ryan Fairbanks, RPL. RPL.